0: I want to finish the message tonight on the uh, the the topic of the Sermon on the Mount, practical Christianity. What does it look like? I don't know about you, but I have uh, I'm I'm so done for being preaching out of this thing. I've been so convicting <laughs> and uh, challenging to say, boy, I want to say what God wants us to say. But the Sermon on the Mount, wow. This shows us how God thinks about Christianity. How he wants us to live, and I'm excited about learning about it. I will tell you this: one thing I figured out real quickly: you can't live the Christian life without Christ. (laughs) You can't live the Christian life without prayer. I think it's interesting that prayer keeps popping up in the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because we need help. Not a one of us, if we think we can do this on our own, we can, you know, live the golden rule in our own ability. Not possible. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do what we ought to do without, without Him. We must have Him. But Jesus is speaking to His disciples. He's speaking to saved people. And I think He opens up with practical Christianity and gives the blessed attributes of what is in His people. He says, I want my people to have, be pure of heart, to be merciful, to be meek. I want them to have a hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want them to be peacemakers. I want them, I want them to be pure of heart, have a, have a, have a sincerity about them. I want them to be willing to be persecuted and endure very difficult things for my sake. And he said, I'd like to take them out of the world and I'm going to do that later. But right now, I need them to be two things in the world. These are my people. I want them to be salt and light. I want them to create a thirst in the people around them. I want them to flavor the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want them to, to retard uh, the growth of wrong and the bacteria of sin. I want them to make sure that, that they uh, are making contact with the world. They can't, they've can't. they got to be in the world. They don't want to be of the world. I want the world in them, but I need them to make contact. I need them to go on bus calling. I need them to knock on doors. I need them to give out tracks. I need them to be in the communities. I don't want them to live in a commune. I want them to be out and about. Wherever they go looking for people, they can make contact. I want them to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. And then, of course, he goes on to the... Six major broad and bold contrasts. He said, You've heard it been said. This has been 400 years now since Malachi put his pen down in the Old Testament. And most of the people don't read Hebrew or Aramaic. They, they just go to, and the priest tells them what they're going to say. And the, and the people that are certainly the more spiritual people, are known to be spiritual, are the Pharisees and scribes. And he tells them, hey, you're going to have to exceed the righteous of the Pharisees and scribes. And they're like, what? How in the world can we do that? And he said, well, you've heard it been said, thou shalt not kill. But I'm telling you, you got to make sure your relationships Go deeper than the letter of the law. You think, oh, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm okay. No. He said, if you go around calling your friends airheads or raka, or you want to go, you want to, you want to talk down to someone or say you hate your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. He says, if you're going to touch this, if you're going to be salt and light, number one, you need to make sure your relationships are right. Number two, you need to make sure your morality is right. You've heard it been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. You're thinking about the act. I'm thinking about what's going on behind your eyeballs and between your ears. He says, if a man looks on a woman to lust after him, he's committed adultery in his heart. God's digging deeper into the furrows of a man's spirit and soul and challenge them. He says, you'll never be the Christian you ought to be if your relationships are not pure. And if you have a problem with someone, go to them. Agree with your adversary while in the way with them. He said, if you're going to make an impact, you're going to be salt and light. You've got to get your relationships right. You need to get your morality right. You need to get your marriages right. And he gives his, his, his vote that God uh, doesn't want marriages to be severed. He wants them to be worked out. That's where the greatest glory of God comes from is when a marriage decides to stay together. And they want to just talk about, well, I, I got divorced, but I gave him the bill of divorce. And he said, forget that. That's not what God wanted. He wants you to love and, and, and give a little bit more, love a little bit more. And, of course, he says about honesty. You've got to be honest. Be truthful with your words. Be truthful in your, truthful in your behavior. Pay your bills on time. If you can't pay them on time, go talk to your creditor and tell them what the problem is. And give them what you can be honest in the world. Then he tells them, You're going to have to learn if you get smote on the one side, turn the other side. You Teaching us, we've got to give a little bit more. We've got to take a little bit more, excuse me. He says, If somebody takes your coat, well, give them your cloak, give them your coat also. He said, You might need to give a little bit more. So you might need to love a little bit more. And of course, all of this is just heavy. These are not natural things. They're not easy things for us to do, in our, and you can't do it in your own flesh. But he's saying, "This is what my. These are the attributes of my people. This is the impact and the influence of my people. These are the illustrations that people are going to see. They can't see the heart, but they can see morality. They can see how I handle relationships. They can see marriage. They can see honesty." They can see grace in our hearts and lives of of giving and going farther and giving more and taking more and loving more. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt love uh, your neighbor. I'm telling you, love your enemy. So you've got to put love on steroids and demonstrate that because the people can't deny a life that's lived right. And then he says, in chapter 6, in the middle of his message, he's one-third done. He goes in the, in the second chapter, chapter 6, and he says, Look, in chapter 6, there are three disciplines that have to be addressed. One is giving, one is prayer, and the other is fasting. Each of them are antidotes to the desire to have, which you learn to give. Desire to, to be, the pride of life, you learn to pray. Not be a control freak. Take your care. Make it prayer. And then, the desire to do, learn to fast. And he gives us that indication. And then he tells us some very valuable principles. Beneficial principles. One has to do, and right smack in the middle of his message, he puts money in there. Money's always in the middle, and Jesus knew that. That's where we find the passage of Scripture where he says, Where a man's treasure is, there your. He's going he's gonna to dig right in the middle of this message. He's going to deal with finances. By the way, it's amazing. And occasionally, I, have, I don't have too much pushback, but occasionally, as a pastor, I get pushed back and have for 21 years, I've been a pastor. And sometimes, uh, if you're ever a pastor or you're ever doing something, people will say, oh, it's all about the money down there. And, you know, they get, oh, I can't believe it. I came to church and they, they did an offering. They're trying to raise money for this. The truth of the matter is, you know, when someone goes to buy a car and says, let's talk money, no one says, oh, you offended me, uh, we're, we're, this is over right now. No. When you start walking out of Walmart and they ask you to go through a checkout line and ask you to pay money, you don't say, oh, now you've offended me, how dare you bring up money right in the middle of Walmart. But all of a sudden we come to church and all of a sudden people think, oh, they just want their money, just want the money. And it's not about the money, but God knew that where your treasure is, there your heart would be also. And so he tells them, listen. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth because everything on earth will corrode. It will be consumed with fire. It will be corrupted or it will be captured. It will be stolen. So put it in something better than the FDIC can improve and secure. Put it in heaven. And when you put it in heaven, you're going to find that your mind will be thinking about heaven. Your will, will be thinking about heaven. Your motivation will be heavenly and not and not earthly. And so he tells them, make heavenly investments. That's why every one of us ought to, ought to be concerned. People say, you know, I don't care about a mansion. I don't care about where I'm at. I just want to get there. If you knew what God knew about heaven, you wouldn't say that. Because <laughs> he lives there, and he tells you, you better send some money up here. You better get busy down there. You don't just want to... To get into heaven with fire insurance, you want to do something. There is no reward for well done, thou good and faithful spectator. Just looking around and watching the world go by and say, oh, our church is doing a lot of things. What are you doing? What am I doing? Oh, I'm glad to see souls saved. Am I giving the gospel to people? Had the joy to ride a bus this afternoon. Linda and Lacey and I jumped on the bus after church and drove and dropped off, uh, helped the captain and the driver drive, drove for a little bit on the bus. And just a blessing. It's a blessing to see where folks are and a blessing to see the situation and, and the growth and the challenges that are going on. And some of you, you've been a long time here. Maybe you ought to just jump on the bus one afternoon. And just decide, you know what, I'll eat a bologna sandwich and I'll make my way to Chicago or Northwest Indiana, or Chicago Heights or, or Hegwich uh, or someplace else and say, you know what, let me ride that bus. Let me, let me know, let me feel it again. And if you did it many times, and, 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 and there's a season where you can no longer do that anymore. But I would never have the attitude, I've done that, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, I'm done, I've paid God off, I'm just going to watch the world go by until I go to heaven. Don't do that. Stay busy. What you cannot do with energy, do with urgency. Stay busy, about, find something you can do, all of us. You got an opportunity to go visit someone, visit someone. God puts in your heart someone to pray for, pray for them. You got someone to put someone in your heart to do something for, do something for them. Love them, do your, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Stay busy about the work of the Lord. He tells them, listen, keep making eternal investment, but then also eradicate worry. He says throughout that rest of chapter 6, he said, take no thought. Take no thought of your finances. Don't make that a major focus. Take no thought of your fitness. You can't add a cubit or take away a cubit. You can't do that. You can't heal yourself. If you got something going on, ask God. Turn it over to the Lord. Cast thy burden on the Lord. He'll sustain thee. Take your care. Make it prayer. He said, take no thought about your finances, about your fitness. He said, take no thought about your food. If I can feed the birds, they don't starve to death. They don't, they don't go store up food like a squirrel does. In, in April, they have to get food for that day. And in January the 31st, you have to get food for that day. And he said, our Father in heaven looks down, and if he can take care of the sparrow, he can take care of you. Aren't you greater than them? He said, I don't want you to be... Be uh, taking thought and worrying about fashion and clothes. He said, if I can clothe a lily, I can clothe you. He says, I don't want you to take thought about the future. Wonderful thing about God is that he's already in the future. Tomorrow tomorrow is clearer to God than yesterday is to me. I forgot more about yesterday. He'll never forget anything about tomorrow. He already knows what's there. He says, I got this. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. He said, just, just think about now and live for today and that day when you stand before God. Then he comes to chapter 7, and he speaks about judgment. The rest of the message is evaluation. If I were to look for the alliteration, I would say a blended evaluation. He starts off with saying, judge not. He goes, I don't want you to judge not, that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, it should be judged unto you again. And of course... He said, if you're going to judge someone, you know, don't walk around with a telephone pole in your eye trying to find a little splinter in someone else's eye. He said, if you're going to judge, you're going to make judgment." And now it doesn't say you can't judge or evaluate. So much of the Christian life is evaluating. You're never going to be a successful servant of God if you don't learn to judge. And evaluate situations based upon God's Word. One of the things I love about God's compliment to, to Abraham, he said this. I know Abraham. He will do justice and judgment. Genesis 18, I think, verse number 19. He will do, I know him. And he didn't have any kids yet, but he said he will train his kids in this way. And he said he'll do judgment and he'll do justice. And justice has to do with how you treat other people. Judgment is how you live your life based upon the judges, the law. What does God say? He'll he'll do what I tell him to do. He will live the way I want him to live. And of course, that blended evaluation (coughs) begins with, you can't judge someone else's motives. You don't always know that. Well, I know how they are. No, you don't. You don't always know everybody. You need to be very careful. The Bible tells in Romans, to his own master, let him stand or fall. You know, many of us, we stay up at night and think of crazy ways how we can fix everybody else's problem. You can't do it. You're off your rug if you try. The Bible says vengeance is mine. I will pray for someone needs to get their wagon fixed. God can do it. He doesn't need my help or your help. It tells us to to judge. Don't judge one another. But if you do or if you're going to help somebody, make sure you don't have the telephone pole in your own life. That you are right with God yourself and you're doing the right thing. And that you're right with the Lord if you're going to make evaluation. But then he goes to say, you're going to need judgment. Don't cast your pearls towards mine. Look at the verse, if you would, please. We're in chapter 7. And let's look, if we can, please, at this admonition. Verse number 6. Give not that which is holy unto dogs. Don't take stuff you would offer in the temple, the holy temple there, sacrifices, and give it to to mangy old dogs, neither cast your pearls before twine, lest they trample them under the feet, and uh, turn again to rend you. So he said, he said look, um, you will need, you'll need judgment. Okay, so he said, you don't judge one another. If you're going to have to help somebody, do it with a pure heart that you're right with God if you're going to talk to somebody. Number two, he says, you got to have judgment to know when to open your mouth to try to help somebody and when not to do it. He said, don't take something that's holy, that's meant to be a sacrifice to God, and give it to a mangy old dog somewhere. Don't take your pearl earrings and put them in a trough so some pigs can work through it. And then they, they spit it out, and then they'll come and bite you, come and rend you, tear you up. He said, don't do that. You know what it takes to know whether or not you should help someone or not someone? It takes wisdom. It takes judgment. So many folks say, well, if, I, if it's on my mind, I just say it. You've you got problems. Just because something comes to your mind does not mean you need to say it. I think one of the most important things about relational things and leadership is knowing when to offer some advice and when to keep your mouth shut. The Bible says a wise man is like a deep well. He doesn't just come and just, just blow it all over you. you got to kind of get down in there and get it out of them. You ever talk to someone, and I can think of several men in my life. I know I shouldn't probably say anyone's name. There's several men, and boy, do they have a boatload of knowledge. But if you take them out to dinner or you try to talk to them, they don't just like, blah. They don't just empty on the whole load on you. They'll just answer your question. They'll just say, you know, that's a good question. Let me think about that. Now, as we think about that, I think maybe the Lord tells us this right here. And boy, what you're saying, you're like, okay, oh, can I, I can't write fast enough. <laughs> what did you say? That was really good. But he says, you've got to have wisdom and know when to offer advice, when to not. And of course, the book of Proverbs tells us, you know, speak not in the ears of a fool. He'll despise the wisdom of your words. Sometimes it's just not a time to do that. You know what you have to, you have to know, what you have to have to know when to do it, when not to do it? Judgment. And then he gives us a, uh, the concept of prayer. He says, here's where he said, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. He's just saying, look, you need prayer to help you make good decisions. Well, you don't know what to do. I, I like James 1, where he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this is the trying of your faith, work with patience. But let patience have her perfect work. You may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him. See, the thing we need in problems and challenges, we need wisdom. How is wisdom obtained, according to that verse? Through prayer. When you have a problem, the first thing you ought to do is praise God for what he's doing in the problem. Number two, pray for wisdom in the problem. Number three, persevere through the problem. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. He's reminding us that for judgment, so many of us, we just go half cocked, half cocked into a situation. You know, the kids get a bad grade, and we're just loaded for bear. When they come in the door, ah! We just give it to them. Something happens in the youth group. Something happens at school. Something happens someplace, and before we knew what we were doing, we're just we're just putting our our, our brain in neutral and our mouth in drive. We're just giving our opinion about everything with with not all the criteria needed. And we need to stop and say, Lord, I'm going to ask because you're my father. By the way, this whole beautiful sermon could be summarized as living in my father's eyes. You see here, our father, which art in heaven. And here he uses the thing. He said, if a son asks his father for, a, for a, a piece of bread, does he give him a rock to chew on? If he asks him for For some fish, does he give him a a live rattlesnake to to bite his head off? No. He said, if if a, a father who's evil and sinful like I am would still respond in grace to our own children who ask help, how much more our Heavenly Father will do the same thing? And then in context, if we can, we look at verse number 12. Would you look there if you would, please? Therefore, all these things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Basically, we call this the golden rule. Really, it is, it's not uh, treat people like they would treat you. It is whatever you would want to be treated. Well, do the same thing to other people. And I think it's interesting that God could have put that before the prayer time. But He did the prayer time and then He gave us that. You know what you need and what I need desperately You know, prayer changes things, it changes me. You find a time to pray, you develop a prayer life and you're going to find out rather than changing the government, you're going to change your perspective toward government. When you start praying for souls, I don't know how many people are going to get saved and say, what must do to be saved to you? But what it will do, it'll make you more sensitive to souls. You start praying for your neighbors to get saved. When you see them, you're not so much concerned if they got a new Corvette or they got some new fence up. You're concerned, is this my opportunity to talk to them? Is this an opportunity? You know why? Prayer fuels all of that. And to treat people the way you would prefer to be treated, you're going to have to have really spiritual. And little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Well, we're in chapter 7, verse number 13. And I want to share with you, I think, as we conclude, we see several now test. And the big challenges is, are we going to take the broad road or the narrow road? Are we going to go with the majority or are we going to go with the narrow path? Here's where Jesus, I think, draws the line. And he tests us because we're at a gate, all of us, after Jesus preaches the message, he comes in with application. I appreciate whenever someone preaches to me and then tells me now, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) I don't always like it, but I need that. And Jesus didn't just preach to impress. He preached to convict and to bring us to a place of what are we going to do with this? Most of his sermon is over. He has dealt with all the attributes. He has, he has dealt with the influence. He's dealt with the illustrations of those six areas that demonstrate that. He's given us the three uh, disciplines of the Christian life and prayer and giving and fasting. He has given us the eternal perspective and investment he wants as well as to eradicate worry. He's talked to us about judging and making good decisions. And now he says, now, there's a, there's a gate. You're at a precipice. There's a, there's a, there's, you come to it, you come to a place, there's a, there's a, there's a fork in the road. You're either going to take the broad road and the wide gate, or you're going to take the narrow road and the narrow gate. I think this is not just a one-time situation. I think every day we get the face this to some extent. So what are you going to do with this? I think there are several tests that are given here. Let's just, let me just climb through if we can, please. And I don't want to take a lot of time, but I do want to give to you the clarity that I believe is here. Look at verse 13. Enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth where? And many there be which go thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life. And few there be that find it. I think the first test is a test of choice and practice. Choice and practice. With this in mind, you know, once again, is the Sermon on the Mount given to disciplined followers of Christ or to masses of unsaved people? Yes, given to Christians. Only a Christian can hunger and thirst after. Only a Christian would be willing to be persecuted for Christ's sake. Only a Christian can be pure of heart. Only a Christian can be poor of spirit and and be reliant not upon self, but upon the Lord. So he's speaking to Christians here. And he says, now, average Christians, they come to a precipice. And he says, now, enter ye at the straight gate, the small one. You're going to go on that highway, and there's not a lot of people traveling that highway with you. Most Christians are not in church on a Sunday night. Most Christians who name the name of Christ, and once again, some may have gone to Sunday afternoon, it's not necessarily the time. I'm talking about commitment level. He says, you're going to have to decide where you're going, you, you going, you going to land. Are you going to take the straight gate, or are you going to take the, the wide gate? The wide gate is very crowded, and the road is very wide. It's broad, but it leads to destruction. I don't think it's talking so much about going to hell in this particular S- session. I think it's talking about living your life the way you want to live it. And you'll finish it, you'll finish your life, and you have done all you wanted to do, and you're on the broad road. You're cheering to the same cheers. you're going to the same places you're doing, you got the same mentality, that we're not transformed by the ruin of our mind. We got, we're just, we just. There's no difference in the holy and the profane. We talk like the world, we entertain ourselves with the world, we're on the broad road. Or, are you going to take the small gate and the narrow way? He's, he's given you a choice. And I think it's a test of choice and a test of practice. Now, once again, God's going to love us because he loves us. We're not talking about the love of Christ here. We're talking about, we're talking about what, what road you're going to take. And I think this is what Jesus is telling. He so I've already told you about the attributes. I've already told you about the impact that I want you to have. I've told you about the illustrations. I've told you about the disciplines. I've told you about the eternal and the eradicating that. And I've told you about judging. Now let me ask you, where are you going to stand here? What road are you going to take? Every teenager, you've got to take a road. Every man up here in the, in the, in the better roads, you've got to take a decision. Beautiful ladies over here in the, in the bread of rose. you've got to make a decision. Grandparents, you're making a decision. And listen, no response is still a response. So I do how to make a decision. No, you made a decision. And so many of us, we have to decide, what am I going to do with my life? Is it your life anyway? But to find out, what is God? It doesn't matter if your time or effort. And everybody has a ceiling of commitment. I don't know where yours is. But the deeper your love, the higher your ceiling is. These are things, he says, look, I want to give you the test of choice. I think one thing God has made stronger than his will, and that's yours. If you really want to do something, he says, I'll I'll give you your desires. I'll give give you what you want. And I'll give leanness to your soul, misery and frustration." been listening and watching and 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 all of us, if you just open your eyes and young people before you decide what you, what roads you're going to, take, you want you have enough sense to look at people on the broad road. Hey, look at their Facebook, look at their instagrams, look at look at all the things they're showing there. See them in the bars and see them with the drinks and see them with all the all their friends, see their cursing and all that stuff and and just ask them, is that where I want to be? That's where the world is, is I want to take that broad road. Would God we had somebody here would say, you know what, I'm taking the the, the straight gate. (laughs) I'm taking the narrow road. I want to please, I'm just not wanting to appease God, I want to please Him. What would be best for God? What would be best, and by the way, whatever's best for God will be best for you. God leaves the best for those who leave the choice up to Him. Young people that you're you, you married couples and you're, you're, you're thinking about divorce and ways that you can exit. Go talk to someone who's been divorced a few times and ask them, how has it been on the broad road? Was it all that fun? He goes, no, I hate that fact. I hate to have that skeleton in my closet. I had that conversation, with that girl at work. I had that situation with that flirtatious man that it, it took me and destroyed me. It put me on a road to destruction. Once you decide, I'm going to love a little bit more. I'm going to be more faithful to the Lord. I'm going to trust God and continue on. As Jesus wraps up his, his, his message on practical Christianity, he said, look, the choice is yours. You got a straight gate or you got a wide gate? You got a narrow way or you got a broad way? The broad way, watch them. They're just self-destructing as they go. The narrow way, it leads to life. Life that's good for everlasting and good for every day. You got a choice, and you got to practice. Look at the next thing he says here, if you would please, in verse number six, 15. He said, you're going to have counterfeits and products or produce to look at. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their... Fruits, the produce of their life. What what is their product? Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but the corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire. Would you read verse 20 with me out loud to everyone? Wherefore... I think that every time that you have a precipice to decide a straight gate or a wide gate, you have false prophets standing there that look good, that sound smooth, but they're not from the Lord. He said, you better be aware when you're making a decision how you're going to take your future. You better be careful. The Bible tells us in First Timothy chapter 4, he said, no, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter days, some shall depart from the faith. Not everybody, not all, not even most. Some will depart from the faith. And the first thing they'll do, they'll give heed to seducing spirits. Doctrines of devils, they'll speak lies and hypocrisy, and they'll have their conscience seared with a hot iron. I think one thing that all of us ought to make sure we do is make sure we don't listen to false teaching, bad advice. Because at the precipice of the straight gate, there's a guy telling you, hey, come on, tell you, fundamentalist, come on. That is so old fogey. Oh, you, they're asking you to, to take the high road, huh? High road, isn't that Brother Wilkerson's little thing? High road of holiness? Yeah, okay. You can have Christianity on your terms. You don't have to dress like that. You don't. You can, uh, alcohol, hey, even Jesus drink. Turn the water in the wine. Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. That's their favorite verses. You know, drink to sweet. You can drink alcohol. Good night. You're in one of those. One of those little churches, little things. You'll grow out of that in time. Oh, all them. You can, you, can, you can live in immorality. Make sure you spice up your love life. Come on, there's nothing wrong with being bisexual. Nothing wrong with being homosexual. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, you know, given the 20, 2021, brother, you're going to have those smooth talking, appearing logical, but as wicked as the day is long. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Ravenous, the Bible calls them. They're counterfeits. But you know how you know them you know them by their product by their fruit you know them by their life you know them by their family by their conduct by the how they treat people you know them do they measure up are they measuring up to the other parts of the sermon on the mount you can see these things and he said by your fruits you'll know them by their teaching yes but also by their conduct and it's very sneaky he said, you number one. When it comes time to the test, you gotta, it's going to be a choice and a practice. And by the way, we, we want everybody to go. Even as independent Baptists, we want to be independent, but we want to group up with everybody else. There's something inside of us that doesn't want to stand out. We want to blend in. We want to be on the broad road. We don't want to be on the narrow road. It's a little lonely over there. You get kind of made fun of over there. And the people in the broad road are, ah! Oh, you're not, you're not touching before you get married? <laughs> you're going to be a virgin when you get married? Oh, yeah, that's so old fogey. I'm telling you why. You need to figure out what's going on with you before you get into that, into that situation. Oh, no, that's the broad road talk. Narrow road talk is, is Bible, is truth, is blessings. But you'll always have some counterfeit, and you still have to evaluate. You have to make a judgment based upon their fruits. He said, even by your fruit. And by the way, look down the pathway. I was talking to one of our good men recently, and we were talking about a fellow that has just, you know, in the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy, he said, some men, their sin is obvious from the beginning. You can just listen to a guy just for a few moments, you say, you can tell, you know, something's not right here. But he says, some men sin, they follow after. And it just teaches Paul, St. Timothy, listen, you always have to evaluate direction and friends. If you're going to be this Christian God wants you to be in 15 years, you either change, you have to change something, but you will have to change your friend most likely. Because not everyone takes the journey of the high road of holiness long term. it's, It's very painful, in my opinion. One of the more painful things I was talking to a good man, and he said, you know, we see our brother here, and boy, I remember whenever. He's just so good. He understands this. But I was with, I was with him one time, and I, and I just, this conversation, the things that he wanted to talk about, and, and the things he's doing, the things he's no longer doing, the things he's doing that he never would have thought to be doing, just his conversation, I thought to myself, and my friend said this, he's dangerous. He's got appeal, he's smooth, he's very attractive, and he's very intelligent, but he's dangerous. And I wouldn't want to say unkind things, but about, I would just say this, you've got to be very careful who you listen to. Some of you guys nowadays, we've got the blogs, and we've got the podcasts and everybody's listening to everybody, and you don't have to be anybody to put a podcast on. You can be Popeye the Sailor Man, and someone's going to listen to you. Buy spinach at the end of the podcast, probably. Try to find olive oil. (laughs) It's just, uh, it's just, but everybody has opinions. And it seems like to me, they just throw it out there and anyone will listen. I was talking to a man one time. He was telling me that he had bought on, he had really grown to a place of of true doctrine. He had studied his Bible. And he had come to several positions. I thought, man, how, how could you get that reading your Bible? Those, I just—I've i studied night and day, night and day. I said, oh, "Come on, tell me who." He goes, "No, nobody. I've just been reading the Bible, studying hard, going through the scriptures." Okay, come on, who? Well, there is a guy in Florida now. He's been—you know—I've saw him a little bit and checked you know, his little, his his little uh, YouTube's, and I've been listening to this guy over this guy here. And boy, all, all of a sudden, I said, "That's how you got that." someone more intellectual than the average person convinced you that this is true. Rather than just getting it, because you don't get that from the Bible. But you always have to be careful for counterfeits and their produce. Let's look at the next one we must hasten. Let's continue if we can. I want you to look at the confused without a possession. This is one of the more tragic verses in the Bible. Verse 21, are you looking with me? We okay? Okay. Okay. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, and that is putting your faith in Jesus. That's the will of the Father. People came to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 28, 29, and said, What works can we do that we can inherit eternal life? And he said, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. The way you get to heaven, by putting your faith in Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. He said, the way you go to heaven is by putting your faith in Christ. But here's what happens. The Bible says, verse 22, read it with me. Many will say unto me in that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And in thy name. And then uh, he will say, I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye work of iniquity. This is kind of a very challenging thing, but I think many people are confused because they have a profession in thy name. We did this. We said this, but they don't have a possession. When you see the words, here's why God says, I'm not going to be able to spend eternity with you because I don't know you. John chapter 10, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. See, salvation is when God knows you. Spiritual growth is when you get to know God. He said, if you keep my com- if, if, if you'll, you'll know me if you keep my commandments. When we learn to obey God. That's how we get to know God. But salvation is when God knows us. He said, there's a group of people that they will say unto me in that day. Now, everyone who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. I know the Lord is going to spend eternity with the Lord. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? And by the way, one of the three cultures, and I'm not not here to throw anyone on the bus, but it's interesting, the charismatic movement majors on prophecy, casting out demons, and healings. And sometimes those things are counterfeit. By the way, I think prophecy will fail. That means when the Bible comes, you don't have to have a prophecy, a private interpretation. you got the Bible. We don't need tongues today. Why? Because we already have the Bible. That was baby talk, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is when I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child, and when, when I became a man, I put a child as a thing. When you can read, when you got a Bible, you don't need the other, other things. So, other people say you're all excited about casting out demons. You're all excited about healings. You're all excited about prophecy. He said, We've done all this in your name. It's amazing how many things are done in the name of Christ that are really not of Christ. And once again, I'm not. Please do not walk out of here or watch this on the internet and find think that I'm saying that every charismatic person is not saved. But I do think it's kind of interesting that those are the things that they major on. But then I see here he says. Depart from me, I don't know you. And a good question. Listen, young people, older folks, make sure God knows you. How tragic it would be for anyone from First Baptist Church to stand in that line at the great white throne judgment and God say, I'm sorry. You see? no, come on, I, I, I worked a bus route. I played in the orchestra. I was an usher. I went soul winning, I taught a Sunday school class, and then God look at you and say, I'm sorry. You know me, I don't know you. We've never had that that born again experience. We never came to a place where I knew you. And I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm just telling you, you know, and God knows, if he knows you. If you're not sure about that, get it settled. I don't care if it's right here in this service or one o'clock in the morning, or if it's in the middle of the week or whatever, just deal with it. Nothing in the world worth going to hell over. You don't want to ever hear those from God. You don't want to come back with him and say, well, you know, I did this and I did this. He doesn't give a rip what you've done until you've known him. Until he knows you, excuse me. He needs to know you. All the things we do are so we get to know him. You know, whenever you go soul winning or serve in a, in a community, or serve in a ministry. And by the way, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did, and that's how you'll see you can be Jesus to other people when you you minister. If you just get back and sit and and be an armchair quarterback and watch the world go by, you'll get critical and you'll lose your compassion. God wants us to have. Then he says here, the confused without a possession, but then he finishes up, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken to him to a wise man to build his house on a rock. The rains came, and the rains descended. It came down, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was found upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, he shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house on the sand, and when the rain, rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, it fell, and great was the fall of it. I'm done, but I want you to tell you real quickly. Once again, there's a choice to be made and a practice to be done. There are counterfeits, false prophets, false teachers, false voices that you'll hear. But you've got to evaluate them based upon the fruit. There are some people who are confused. They have a profession without a possession. And then you find here, some people don't make it on the Christian life because of circumstances circumstances that they have in their life, and uh, protection. And he says, look, if you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to have a storm, come. A lot of people who used to sit in churches who no longer sit in churches because God took their child. Their kid hasn't come back to Jesus, and they've been praying for years, and he still hasn't come back to Jesus. Someone offended them in the Sunday school. Someone hurt their feelings. A wind came by, rains descended, floods came. And you see the, the, wind, the rain, it affects the roof of the house. The, the flood affects the basement of the house. And he said, if you, don't have a, if you don't have your life built upon a rock, when those things come, circumstances come, and you're not going it. If you, if you build your house and you build your life based upon First Baptist Church, you will have already been gone a long time ago. I met with our visitors today. 13four years ago, our church started. In 134 years, we've had some good things happen, and some very hard things happen. If people would have built their house upon the church, they would have quit many times. If you build your house upon the applaud of men and the, and the praise of men, you'll quit. That's sand. If you build upon a position that you want or you, you want to get, you're in trouble. But if you do what you do and you build upon the, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, when circumstances hit you, and they will, you keep breathing, they're gonna hit you. You're gonna lose something that's very dear to you. You're gonna not get something you expected to get. And hope deferred will make your heart sick and you'll say, you know what, if I, that circumstance, that's enough, I'm out of here. And I'm just telling you, you don't want that because the storms are gonna come and you're going to need to say, I am not going to let circumstances, I'm not going to let counterfeits, I'm not going to let confusion, and I'm not going to let bad choices keep me off the, 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 the narrow path. And I think most everybody who leaves and does not finish the Christian life effectively it's because of bad choices, counterfeit voices, confusion, or circumstances. And whatever's going on in your world, let me encourage you. This is why I think the the practical Christianity, I don't know about you, but I'd like to be a good example for the Lord to please him and for others to make an impact in this world. But I got to stay on the high road of holiness, and so should you.